Hey, what's up? Monday in LA, the 710 Studios for Silla Podcast. We got Woj for what was supposed to be 20 minutes turned into 40 minutes. I want to try to get the sit down kind of story time going again, but I just have to find the right people to do the stories. We actually have one. We do a bunch of off season preview things, you know, Woj leans here or there, but for the most part, uh, the, the really good, well, it's all good, but uh, we get to some funny stories about covering the draft, guys getting stuff right, wrong. Uh, so we will do a little story time with Woj. I am back, as I said, after four days in Chicago. Love that city. Love that city. Uh, love the combine. Do miss hosting it. But in a way, I'm getting more work done now because I'm just watching games and I'm talking to people and people like me. I know. I know it's a shock. But yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. I, you know, look, I, you guys know how much I love basketball. So before the draft, I don't want to do every single podcast be basketball, but I don't really know what to do while we're sitting here other than some life updates, which we got. I have a thing with motorcycle guys that I'd like to get to. Uh, but let's, um, let's do this rapid fire here. I'm going to run through a bunch of my notes that I have for the top of this podcast, but yeah, Woj for about 40 minutes. We're going to do all the offseason stuff, Kawhi, Paul George, the Celtics, what would ever break up Golden State, and uh, even even a little on uh, Minnesota, could Phoenix trade the number one pick? So I'm going to do this. Okay, Golden State in game three. Curry misses what? the Seven of his first eight shots, I think from three at one point, he was one for 13, and then the third quarter happens. He's seven for seven, hits five threes, goes absolutely crazy. And you're going, wait a minute, is he having a good, a good game? And then he's hitting some shots, and then it's all of a sudden he has 24 points, ends up with 35. At some point, this had to happen. And I know for the people that don't like Curry, they're like, oh, Curry's hurt again. And that's true. Like everybody, every single superstar in this league has his thing that if he's good, the haters ignore. And if he's bad, then they get on his case. Okay. And that's what really kind of like the secret of this as I was thinking through it all makes a guy like LeBron that special that LeBron, for the most part, is not going to have bad games. It's just that his team is going to lose. Now, his overall numbers from game one against the Celtics were not very good, but that game was a blowout, and they never really threatened. I think they got it to 14 late, but still, LeBron sat down. If he wanted to get 25 meaningless points instead of 15 points, he could have. So I don't look at that as he got shut down. Game two, which I thought was really weird that because Boston won that game, that Marcus Morris continues to be the LeBron stopper when LeBron had 21 in the first quarter. I was like, huh? He was on pace for 84 near the LeBron stopper? That's weird. And then game three happens, and I thought it was very predictable that Cleveland would put it on him, uh, put it on a Boston team that when they look bad, they also look, uh, undermanned like that's just kind of how I still see Boston Horford wasn't as good maybe Boston goes smaller plays Horford at center a little bit more I'm sure Boston will fight back because at least we know they're mentally tougher than other teams despite uh, being young but Cleveland game four you know that that what happened in game three wasn't a total shock but the LeBron haters would say, oh, well, whenever it's, he comes up short, oh, he doesn't have enough help, right? Like, that's how that plays out. Like, the anti-LeBron argument is, oh, whenever he's not winning, it's because he doesn't have enough help. Well, you know what? He doesn't have as much help. This is the worst version of the eight teams that could potentially, the eighth in a row, that could make it to the NBA Finals. For Steph, when he doesn't hit shots, which was really weird, it's, oh, Steph is hurt again. The Steph stands are out there saying that he's hurt. Well, he said he hasn't been hurt. I've talked to the team that he's not hurt. Iguodala, I know, doubtful for game four. Four. I'm hearing he's not even going to play because of a knee injury that they've been managing all year long. So again, you know, that's the annoying part of the Steph thing. Um, for Durant, we know that he had to leave. 
You know, oh, Durant's good's ring, but it's a fake ring. Westbrook, we know that because I'm falling into that category of, yeah, he put up big numbers, but whatever. You know, he takes a million shots. Someone else is into the offense. So every one of, every one of those guys has their thing. And back to the beginning of it, like, that's why I think we should probably appreciate LeBron at least. You don't have to appreciate the personality, but you have to appreciate the fact of who he is because he does seem to bring it every single time, even if his team loses. But, in the beginning of Game 3 with Golden State and Houston, where they're targeting Curry again in those switches, trying to get him on to Harden. And then Golden State even did this thing where they had two each on a left side, Harden top dribbling. This is left to right, watching at the beginning of Game 3 yesterday, where they go, okay, they're going to run Curry's guy into a screen, and we're going to get Curry isoed on Harden again. And what Golden State did, I think it was Durant and somebody else from Houston, they were over on that side, and then Golden State pre-switched it so that you go, okay, if you're going to run your dude over for a Harden screen, I'm going to switch onto your guy, and now Durant's going to follow. And I don't know if it was Durant or not, but that's what they were doing. They are pre-switching it, and then Houston just reset it and then ran Curry off of that switch into another switch on Harden. So you're sitting there and you're going, okay, let me see. Is this Curry thing a fluke? Like, did we just expose Curry now after Game 2? Because he was ISOed a lot in Game 2. He was also ISOed a lot in Game 1. Like, they were going to go at him. And I've always defended Curry's defense uh, because I feel like he at least understands conceptually what they're doing and that there's an effort level there. Defense is mostly effort and understanding. You know, you don't just get to go out there. Marcus Smart's at a different level. But Marcus Smart, um, I think Richardson, Miami, uh Robertson, Andre Robertson has a little of that in him. There's a few guys out there perimeter-wise we could just go and own somebody. But, you know, the rest of everybody else are just hoping, hey, stay in the team concept. Don't freelance. As soon as you freelance, you get ruined in this league. And that's why I think Curry's always been more valuable defensively uh, than he's given credit for. But physically, there's not much you can do with Harden if you're Curry. And especially when... Your back line is a little reluctant to help off of shooters, and the back line were really being Capella, but they're not bringing Capella up as much. They're screening with perimeter guys to get Curry into that switch, and then the spacing. So it's the spacing and then Capella threat where Curry can't get as much help on these things. So he gets targeted, what, the first four possessions. We're like, here we go again. And then you're thinking, okay, targeting him this much, does this mean this limits his ability as a shooter because he gets super, super tired? Oh my God, the Curry code has been cracked and he's missing more shots. And he missed back-to-back threes. He missed an open one. They kicked back out to him on offensive rebound in the corner. He misses again. Oh my God, it's over. And then it isn't. And then he doesn't miss. And he's like, this is my bleeping house. And you could tell when he did that dribble behind his back that made it 78 points for Golden State and stuck a three in Harden's face. He was pumped. And then he had another drive on the layup where he did the finger roll where it was like, you know what, I don't want the screen, I don't need the switch, like I'm just going to take you off the dribble. I felt like that third quarter, and specifically some of the stuff that he was doing to Harden was like two and a half games worth of payback of you guys are making me chase everybody around like I suck, but I'm not going to deal with this. And that's really what I thought was the story in Game 3. You guys know that I've always thought Golden State was going to win this thing and win the whole That's not like, oh, my God, did you hear that Rosillo podcast? It's amazing. He picked Golden State. No, but I thought Houston could win a couple games. I still think they maybe take this thing to six. But, you know, and we'll see what happens here without Iguodala. But you could see that Golden State, when it's clicking, there's nothing like it. You can see also when things aren't happening where Clay and Curry weren't hitting shots in game two. They get a little like, oh, let's get Durant going. And then they sort of change who they are because then they stand around and watch Durant ISO because Durant can. 
Um, and I give PJ Tucker definitely like there's certain spots and games where he's going out and closing out so hard, denying him the ball, even as an entry pass, not even an entry pass. It'd be like a handoff 30 feet away. But having said all that, this series, both of them are kind of playing out the way I thought they would, where Golden State's peak looks unstoppable. That Houston can't hang with them. It's not even a knock really on Houston. I don't want to hear about adjustments. What can Dan Tony do here or do there? This adjustment stuff to me is so overrated. You know, a team subs a guy out and they start with a different group. That player doesn't even have to play well, but if it was a lineup change and we act like the coaches are at our back or Phil Jackson, we're like, oh my God, what a, what an unbelievable adjustment. You know, and you're like, no, that was easy. That was for us that can't figure out every little intricate detail of what you're doing and how you're playing screens. You know, the way that, that Cleveland, um, you know, they went at Al Horford a different way. Like, and it, it takes a while to kind of figure some of that stuff out. And even the way that Houston was attacking Curry, you'll also notice just sort of the way I don't want to make this the way life works, but kind of the ebb and flow of a game and you have these different substitutions and you have these different patterns. Like you kind of can then go away from a game plan within a game, and then you have to reset it, and the next thing you know, it's another horrifying Golden State third quarter where it's over. Side note, you guys know how I've always talked about Golden State, or not even specific to them, but the better team doing their thing in the third quarter. How about David Aldridge having that report that said Golden State doesn't think that they play any different, it's just that their level is more sustained, and then that's why they're so good in the third quarter? Talk about just, why would you do DA that way? That's so wrong. Golden State totally plays different in third quarters. Like, it's not even, should I say, not even close. It's so obvious there are times they come out at halftime and they go, hey, let's just end this thing in the first six minutes of the third. So for them to sell this, and I'm not even, like, mad at, it just isn't accurate. It's not accurate. And I don't know why they would say, like, oh, yeah, that's not who we are. We don't play differently in the third quarter. Yeah, you do. This is four years of this stuff. Okay, playoff blowouts. They're bad. These playoffs suck. It sucks. I hate it. Now, I watch it all, but it sucks, you know? Like, I don't even know what to get out of Game 4 Cleveland-Boston. This was taped on Monday. So, I don't I don't know who to blame. Like, I heard uh, Greeny on Get Up, check it out, Bill Wolf production. I heard them saying, like, oh, this is what happens with super teams. What? Well, if we had a lot of super teams, wouldn't that mean the games would be close? Like, how are super teams to blame? Wasn't Houston supposedly a super team that was put together to try to challenge Golden State? So they get blown out by 41. Biggest win in postseason history, by the way. Uh, that now that's a super team thing? Boston and Cleveland aren't super teams right now, are they? No one in the East is a super team. So if there are no super, te- if super teams are to blame for blowouts, if there's no super teams in the East, how come those games are competitive? So that doesn't make any sense. That's like traffic and blaming it on the stock market. Like, man, took you a while to get home. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I know the stock market was bad today. That happened and traffic was also bad today, but it doesn't mean it's the same thing. Now, that's a bit more of a stretch of an analogy, but you get the point. Yes, there are super uh, super teams. Yes, it's annoying when you don't have one and your favorite team isn't a super team. But to say the playoffs stink because of super teams, I don't understand that. You could say, well, it ruins the depth everywhere else and that's why there are all these blowouts. Well, this, these are the, the conference finals. Like that should have, that should have changed. And if all the good players are in these certain teams, like shouldn't the four or five matchups be really good all the time? I want to blame millennials. No, millennials get blamed for everything. It's Rudy. I'll have you chime in. Do you think, and I was talking to a GM today about this and his team is not in the playoffs, but 
I'm like, man, I, I, got, I said, I don't know if I'm right or wrong on this one. I'd have to really dig deep in some, you know, margin of victory stats. But I do feel like some of the guys in today's game, when they're down, they're like, okay, we lost this one. Let's come back and get them game four or game five. I feel like there's more quit. At least that's what I think I'm seeing now. And I'm kidding about the blame millennial thing, but that's what it would get turned into. Well, millennial assess. Well, I do think that after Curry goes off in the third quarter, it's like, what's the point? I, I think that's just smart, right? I, like, why would you, why would you waste any effort in the fourth quarter trying to come back from that? Like, yeah, you can just sit here and go, oh, okay, yeah, you know, you play as hard as you can for 48 minutes, blah, 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 blah. But that actually is stupid. There's really no point. And that's why everyone today was going like, oh, the Rockets got blown up by 41. Shows they're not, you know, in the Warriors class. You're like, yeah, maybe that, that's maybe that's so. But just because they lost by 41 in one game doesn't mean that they can't just bounce back and win game four. Well, they can definitely come back and win four. They can, they can win game four. Like the series didn't but, end because they got blown out by 41 in game three. It's just really hard. Like I listen to some of our guys that I do like, and I go, oh, you're just making it up every day. You know what well, I mean? Name names. No, but I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Like you just go, oh, okay, so this is the outcome. So this is what you just, you just say this, you know, I love when people say adjustments like, oh, they made the right adjustments. Did they? Or did Curry just finally wake up? Like that's about as bad a shooting stretch as you're going to see from a healthy Steph Curry. For, for what he had for like two and a half games. By the way, when he did that whole, this is my bleeping house. Yeah. I thought for a second, and I want your, am I on the right path here? I think he, was there any little bit of him that was like, hey, do you remember when I was this awesome and I'm the two time MVP and I won a title before Kevin Durant even got here? So don't forget wow. my name kind of deal. You must work in the talk show business. No, I'm just, I, listen, I, if wow. I was staff, Did you pitch that in the pre-show meeting to no, no, Will Kane? No. I didn't. I, we didn't even talk about it, but I really did think that. I was like, hey, listen, like if I'm Steph, I'm like, Save yeah, this, this is, this is my house, man. Like I'm Steph Curry. Like don't forget about me. Is it impossible? No, but I think it has a lot more to do with what's supposed to be the best shooter in the world missing shots for two and a half games. And then it's your own thing where you're in your own head. Like he had a great post game quote when, you know, somebody said, is it almost insulting to you when people want to ask? And yeah, if I hate Steph and Barkley did it and the, the pro LeBron guys that are still mad that any of us suggested that Steph was even in his class, you know, that's the stuff that was happening in 2016 because Steph was playing better in the regular season than LeBron was. I mean, he was, he was a better regular season player that year. So that's why we're going like, dude, is Steph the best player in the game right now? And LeBron, with his swat of him in the 16 finals, you could see that was like a, I felt like that was a pent up, don't ever think you're sitting at my table type of thing. But Steph said, he goes, you know, no one's harder on me than me. Like I ask all the questions you guys are asking about me missing shots. Like I'm asking myself all of the same stuff. So there's not going to be any, like it's not insulting. It's just that I don't, you don't think I'm thinking about it all the time. Like why the hell isn't it going in? And I do, I'll have moments where I go, in 15, 16, was, like, didn't it feel, because it was new, Saruti, that when he would pull up from 30 feet and it was a bad shot, it'd be some sort of dribble behind his back, but he'd get in a great form and you go, oh my God, and now this is a good shot for him? Like, he's the only person in the world where that's a good shot for him. And I feel like I've just seen less of it lately, and maybe it's the Durant attempts in it, but then in the third quarter, you're like, oh yeah, that's what that is. That's, there it is again. Like, it's I, not I, the same. It isn't the same, but no. I'm just wondering if we're different. Now, 47% on what, 11 attempts per game? Maybe that's the fluke year that's just, 
you can't repeat again. But I, I do think a lot of the times, and when, you know, we do this in life, we're like, oh, this band isn't as good. No, you're different. Or I don't like to visit that place as much now. No, you're older. When we sit there and I have the same feeling where I go, oh, the Steph thing doesn't seem to be just quite the same. Well, it's because we expect it now as opposed to being amazed by it, say, four years ago, five years ago when it first started. No, that's true. It's, yeah, we, we get bored of things quickly, but... There was something his first MVP year that was it, we talked about it then. It was the most fun I've ever had watching sports. I think in my life, like I, it was just the best thing That's to watch because right. it was so cool. And you're right, it was new, but it was also just like, hey, is this guy better than LeBron? Oh my god, I've never seen this. This any shot this guy takes inside of the half court line is probably a good shot. Like it's just, and and it's it's even if. Even if we're bored of it, it's it's still not the same now. It's it's, it's just he, it's different. He's been hurt a few times. There's more. The ball is being shared more, obviously, because Durant is there. It's 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 just not as fun as it used to be. And I don't think that's just because we're. It is partially it's because we're bored of it, but I don't think that's the whole story. No, but if Durant weren't there and they were still winning, we would be bored of it because we get bored of Definitely. things really quickly. Definitely. And like I had said in the peak the peak of his popularity, I'd say you know we're gonna turn on him. Like, the public will turn on him eventually because that's what we do. And that's why my NBA approval rating game is one of my favorite things to do. Like, I should do it every six months. Because you're like, who has the highest approval rating now of any star in this league? Yeah, who is it? Giannis, probably. It's probably Giannis, right? Or AD, although. Uh, I don't even know what you'd say about Giannis. The AD person will say, well, you know, until he gets hurt again. Like there's at least I wouldn't say that. I feel like I've you know, I've almost gotten annoyed with how quickly people moved on from Anthony Davis and feel somewhat justified from what we saw in the playoffs, but you know, there's I don't I don't know you wouldn't be able I you know Giannis if if they don't get out of the first round next year, then he gets to have the Anthony Davis treatment. Or if there's no jump healthy. shot right? Like if there's no jump shot in, in a year or two, it's gonna be like, ah, hmm, stalled as a player. Remember how pissed everybody got at LeBron when they lost to Dallas? That whole LeBron offseason was, maybe he's going to learn to post. Going to go to Akeem Olajuwon (laughs) three-day post camp. And he kind of did, actually. He caught it more, and he still has never learned any of those post moves. Nobody in the league has those. Yeah, not Akeem post moves. No, but I'm never quite understand it. Like there's guards that have better post moves than most of these bigs do. So speaking of, let's uh, we're going to get Woj, and I want to do a little combine wrap up where I'll be less. I'm going to be more, uh, let's put it this way. I'll be less responsible than your everyday journalist. But did I hire a personal assistant while out in L.A.? Sort of. Here's the deal. Everyone has tasks, big and small. Do I want to meet with Oprah for lunch? Do I want to surf again today? These prevent us from being the best versions of themselves. Finn is a high-quality, on-demand assistant that can handle the administrative aspects of life. Wait, declutter, your to-do list, keep you focused on what matters most. Thousands of busy people already rely on Finn, that's F-I-N, to handle tasks like scheduling meetings, booking travel, buying gifts, or even complex jobs like creating a website or hiring a freelancer. Finn takes care of administrative tasks so you can be more productive. Finn lets you be a superhuman. So this is how it works. There's not enough hours in my day to get everything done. My options were to continue trying to do things by myself. I've been doing them or hire an assistant. So I was looking into a hiring assistant, obviously a really cool dude. Um, but that's when I discovered Finn. Finn is the perfect personal assistant. I never realized that I needed because it's available 24 seven, 365 days a year. I started using it a few times a week. Then once I saw how much time I was saving, it was a no brainer to use it even more. 
Finn handles all the tasks I dislike anyway. I'm getting back a ton of time to focus on the things that matter. So when a meeting is canceled or I cancel something, everybody's contacted. Uh, using Finn has been a real game changer for me. And it can take care of all the aspects of planning a trip, flights, dinner reservations, a hotel within minutes of where you want to be for meetings, for visiting friends, relatives, etc. You don't have to lift a finger to have an amazing trip. Finn mixes the best of human and artificial intelligence to deliver a top flight service to manage your calendar, book appointments, and take care of travel plans, pay bills, research, and buy products. Everything a great assistant can do. Do I own a robot? No, I have it. On my phone, Finn, F-I-N. Finn teams up with you, learns and remembers your preferences, like what you prefer on a flight, aisle seat, window, knows your default meeting lengths and your favorite restaurants. You don't need to spend time recruiting, training, managing the assistant. Finn can do it all. On average, Finn can save you 200 hours a year. If you're someone who doesn't have 40 hours of work for uh, an assistant every week, like I have people asking me to be my assistant all the time, I'm like... What if it's a slow week and I'm paying you and you have dental? That's not a good deal for Rosillo Corporation. Here's the best part. With Finn, you only pay for what you use. So here's the deal. Once you try Finn, you're going to love it as much as I do. And as a listener of my show, I've arranged for you, all of you, by the way, to try Finn for free. Just use my link, finn.com slash Ryan. That's fin.com slash R-Y-E-N, Ryan. That's my parents' fault, not mine. That's finn.com slash Ryan to try Finn for free Finn.com slash Ryan, personal assistant right there. You can start to, hey, how are things? Oh, pretty good. I hired a personal assistant. And then just be vague. Combine recap. It was good. Really good. Had a great time. And I want to run through a few things um, on the offseason stuff. The Kawhi stuff, we're going to ask Woj about it. Everybody I talk to seems to think he's gone. I've heard that he wants to stay west, but here's what I can tell you, and I know this seems painfully obvious, but pay attention to the way that I explain it in that I'm not sharing it with you to fill up words here, you know, but that San Antonio's approach is we can fix this, we want to fix this, he's a big part of what we're doing. So you would you would respond to that and say, well, no kidding, Rye, they want Kawhi Leonard to be part of their future. I can only tell you that the years of, of talking to teams, you sense different things. You get a vibe, you know, a team being like, eh, I don't know if this is going to work out or, hey, well, you know, or why would they even tell you? All I can tell you is that San Antonio is very much in the approach of we're going to work this out. We're going to figure this out. Kawhi's one of the five best players in the world, if not better than that. And, you know, we're, we're going to operate accordingly. Okay. That's the sense that you're getting on that conversation, even if other teams are lining up. Now, you could also say, well, of course, teams want him out of there. I'm sharing with you simply how this this seems, the conversation seemed to be going about Kawhi. The Paul George stuff, even though I reported he was gone, <laughs> I love the people like that have been in the pod since day one getting that, and maybe the people downloading today for the first time be like, what? You reported that he was gone? Oh, that's right. Yeah, the Slam Magazine report. Uh, more people are betting that he's bouncing, but you know, Paul's going to have the L.A. thing. LeBron's going to try to get him if he can't get Kawhi. Brooklyn is apparently going to be very aggressive. I don't really know what they're going to sell him on. Like, hey, do you want a worse version of Russell Westbrook that's not going to pass to you? Introducing D'Angelo Russell. Almost the same name and guy. Uh So, you know, the George thing, Oklahoma City thinks they're going to keep him. Other teams... 
more often than not think he's going to bounce, but like this is always that hard thing to figure out. When I said last year during the, the draft, and I don't know, Saruti, if you remember this or not, do you remember when I asked on the air, I said, hey, Lakers fans, would you right now move pick number two for Paul George? Yes, I remember that. I, I would not have done that, but yes. Do you remember the response? It was probably uh no. It was an overwhelming no. It was a no. Why would we do that? We take Lonzo Ball, and then we're gonna have Paul George in two years. <laughs> Remember or a year. Um, I really would have thought hard about doing. It. And in the moment last year in the draft, you're going, no, we're gonna get Lonzo, and then you know I'm not doing this because I was like, yeah, but there's something to be said. When you're trading the pick, and that pick would have gotten it done, especially when you think back to how bad everybody thought the Sabonis Oladipo package was for somebody like Paul George. Um, and Oladipo's contract had a lot to do with that too. When I would talk to other teams, like, cause I remember tweeting out like, Hey, considering all the situations and the market not being great and how many teams would be willing to trade anything for George who could opt out after a year and everybody thinks he's going to LA. Like, I don't think it's a terrible trade. And I got killed for saying that. <laughs> not only like forget social media, I had, NBA guys laughing at me. They're like, Ray Rosillo, do you have the internet? Did you see his contract? I go, well, yeah, I know, but that's my old rule is that all you guys complain when you trade for somebody with one year left. And then when you trade for somebody with three years left, you all say how bad the guy's contract is. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So if I were ever GM, I'd be like, yeah, we're psyched. He's signed for four years. That's terrific money. That's, that's financial stability. They're like, yeah, his contract sucks. Yep. But at least we know it. Um, that's kind of the thing about the Lakers. Like, if you said right now, would you trade Lonzo Ball for Paul George, what do you think Lakers fans would say? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. So, even though, you know, the best version of it is you get a really good player at two, and then you add Paul George to him later, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen with Paul George. He is an impressionable guy by all accounts. Maybe he and Russ have totally hit it off, and they have this thing figured out. But there was not – there was not – Anything other than, and that's why kind of I shared that thing two weeks ago of like, yeah, I finally talked to somebody who's like, yeah, I think he's gone. And I thought that was kind of interesting. But as far as like around the league, it's, yeah, we, you know, the bet would be that he bounces, but I don't know where. Like it's very, there are rumors that are off season stuff where it's connect the dots. Hey, this is what's going to happen. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That was fine. The George one is still kind of a shrug, but that's why if you were the Lakers looking back on that and we'd all sit here and say you'd rather have Paul George today, even with his flaws and the unknown of what Lonzo is. And I'm not like killing Lonzo like others may, but I think the idea that one day he's going to be a superstar in this league, like that doesn't seem super obtainable, but you make that trade so that you are in control, that you can grab the player and then you resign him because when you don't have him, you don't know what can happen. All right. Um, the Celtics part of this, if they do go big game hunting, you have to look at the three big contracts, Kyrie, and if Kyrie were hurt, then that means other teams will know that he's hurt. So just let's throw that off, and I think they would just rather like to re-sign Kyrie and hope this knee thing works out, although it ended up being, let's face it, much worse than people thought originally when he got shut down for the rest of the year. So you go Horford. Okay, Horford's older. His contract isn't great, but you just get to love Al and what he brings to the team when things matter. But you need a big because they don't really have any bigs anyway. And he's a really a, a culture guy. You know, I'd rather pay a few million more for a culture guy than somebody that, you know, can get me. To, well, I don't want to go too far down the road. I don't want 12 points a game in a great culture instead of 25 a game. But you understand the point. So you can't really move the big there. You're probably redoing the Kyrie thing because of a guard thing. 
And then that way it freezes up, okay, well, I want to keep Tatum and I want to keep Jalen Brown, and then I'll figure out what you're going to do. But the word is is that if the Celtics were to put together a package big game hunting is that the Hayward contract and the player, despite his affinity for uh, Brad Stevens, that that would be the one that they would move. And that actually makes sense if you think about it based on everything I just said. Like, yeah, you can ask for Tatum Brown, but I don't want to do it. And if I have to trade for a George or a Kawhi or an Anthony Davis, not Anthony Davis, but you understand the point that I'm making here is that they'd have to include one of those bigger contracts and that it would probably be like a Hayward, Rozier, and a pick thing. Uh, and then, you know, look, if if there were seven teams in on Kawhi and Kawhi was like, yeah, I'll go to any one of those teams, or if it's a I'll only re-sign with these two and that's what the Kawhi price is going to be, uh, if San Antonio can't work it out with him and, and repair that relationship. It is funny, though, as uh, when you talk to other teams and, and you talk about Kawhi a little bit, you go, what other superstar could just shut it down for the year and not get destroyed by the media? That list is not long. So, Rudy? I'm still thinking about the Celtics trading Gordon Hayward. Sorry. <laughs> That'd be dirty. Oh, uh, like. yeah. But, I mean, okay, say say Paul George said, you know what, I'll uh, – let's make it Kawhi. Let's make, let's make it a little more interesting. So, Kawhi <laughs> – but see, I've heard if he's going to balance, he wants to stay in the West. But if we're just doing that exercise. So if you were Ainge, you would say, hey, Gordon came here, and because of the Brad Stevens thing, we told him everything. He breaks his ankles minutes into breaks his ankle minutes, not both. That would be a bigger deal. Um, minutes into his Celtics career and never plays, and we trade him this offseason. You don't think Ainge would do that if he liked to trade? Oh, I don't. I'm not saying he wouldn't do it. I he just, would 100% do it. God, that'd be such a bummer for him. Because, oh yes, it would. <laughs> you know, like he 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 obviously like was really tough about the decision whether or not to go or to stay in Utah, and then you just ship him off to San Antonio. And I get you, yeah, you could be shipped to worse organizations, but man, that would be brutal. It would be brutal. It would be. But it, I think if the Celtics and I'm, I mean, obviously you're shopping the these guys. Yeah, I'm not saying they're shopping these guys, but I think it would be a way to go. All right, we got Kyrie, we got Smart, we got Jalen. Those are the three guards. They'd resign Smart. The Rozier thing, you know, you're probably selling high on him. Not Isaiah Thomas high, but kind of high. Uh, and then you go, okay, you know, you can grab one of the four first rounders we're going to have next year. You know, they still could put together a really nice package, but it would also depend on, you know, is the team that is the team going, hey, we like Gordon so much, and we just think, hey, it was a clean ankle break, and he's good to go, and he'll be fine. It's not an Achilles, it's not a weird shoulder deal. Um, but that's just something. That's just something to kind of think about. To answer your question about Kawhi, no, there is no other superstar that could do that. Not even Giannis, who's the most liked guy in the league. Yeah, and you know Kawhi. If you're if you're doing the Kawhi side of the argument, is you go, hey, he had an ankle injury last year, came back, but it's like okay, but Zaza stuck his foot out, so that's pop and the the doctors it was the ankle was the ankle that susceptible to being re injured. Because he was playing when he shouldn't have been playing. I mean, I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I'm sure there's one medical argument that says, yeah, sure, it's part Zaza, but he shouldn't have been back out there. And then the other things with the quad this year. Um, I don't know. I think I did the sneaker and all that money stuff, right? On the podcast before where I yes. broke down all the money. Yeah, right. He made 500 grand a year from Jordan. I, I don't know how an NBA finals guy makes that. That's your fault for signing that contract, but. It's also, like, is it Popovich's fault that you're not a great interview? And that's why your sneaker money isn't that great? Like, 
you know what? It's a weird deal. It's, it's a weird deal how, how stuff works. I don't mean a ton of kids. I don't, I don't interact with a ton of kids to begin with, but I'd imagine if I was still playing pickup hoops with younger dudes, I doubt many'd say, I want to be like Kawhi. Right? It's Kyrie. It's Steph. It's, it's obviously LeBron. It's Durant. You yeah, know? like his thing with Jordan, it has nothing to do with the Spurs unless he thinks it does, right? Unless he's like that's, saying, oh, well, yeah. my, you know, because I'm playing with his team and we don't talk and that's the reason I'm quiet. Like I actually, I mean, maybe he thinks he has some sort of budding personality that we don't know about, but I find that hard to believe and I wouldn't obviously pay him. Like the only thing that is funny is there are guys who have shoe deals that like shouldn't have shoe deals at that much money. Like who buys, like, I, I, I mean, I love the Paul George shoe, but who's like, I need the Paul George shoe. It's a really good shoe, I think. Is the I love deal the shoe. There. They did a really good job. It's my with favorite it. shoe, I think. But, but it's the like Kyrie. The, the Kyrie shoe kills it. Yep. Sales, but it's a lower price point. Which, yep. you know, when you are very much woke, uh, you know that's. But Kyrie, you know, Kyrie Man hits the a shot in Game Seven in 2016. That's that's kind of shot. But then Kawhi also like didn't miss in the finals. <laughs> you know what he did against Miami. He was he was incredible. All right, um, let's keep pushing along here. So that's a little off season on some of that stuff. We can see how. Which one do you want to bet on? Will you think it'll be Rosilla reports? Celtics are shopping Hayward. That'd be the most likely one to be picked up to say. Mm. Of everything I just ran through. Yeah, that's probably the one. Rosilla reports Kawhi's personality isn't endearing to younger hoopers. No, it's not that. It's probably yeah. It's like hey, you know. Celtics willing to give up Hayward and, you know, Rozier for Kawhi. Is Ainge a jerk? Saruti says yes. Listen, I get the business that I'm not saying I wouldn't do the trade. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm not saying he's a jerk. I'm just saying that sucks for Hayward so bad. Sucks. Yeah, that would suck. That would absolutely suck. All right. Double checking directions here now. All right. My commute just doubled in time. All right. Let's get moving. Okay. Uh, other combine stuff. Um, run through this I do have a favorite team I can't tell you which team it is but finally a team admitted where they landed in the lottery sucks <laughs> every year if a team's picking fourth be like what do you think of the draft like oh we think it's four locks and then or hey, we think it's five deep you know it's whatever slot the team lands in and I get it I mean they're not gonna... finally a team goes this sucks sucks where we landed the draft is over before us. I went, okay. I just can't share which team that is. I love um, that team, though. That's a great call. <laughs> don't be, like, seriously, don't. If it sucks, it sucks. Say it like it is. Like, Honestly, hey. it'd be easier to be, like, if there's a press conference, be like, you know what? You'd blame it on that. Be like, you know, we're just not lucky. That's what happened. That's why we didn't get a good player. <laughs> uh, Phoenix, at the top, I've heard that ownership Sarver, who's an interesting cat, is big on the Luka Doncic deal. And that the basketball people like Aiton, and that it is two people, and that it's not four. This could entirely be way too early to be doing this kind of stuff, but that's what this pod is. We we get out in front, and uh, you know the Aiton thing is really interesting because the more I watch the draft, and I'm doing my work on the players, even though I'm not even sure if I'm doing anything for the draft, but I just like doing it. I think it's deep with names where you go, man, Mikael Bridges may go tenth or. Sexton could go nine, you know, like these are pretty good players, but the floors for these guys in three years, we could be going, man, that 18 draft sucked. 
I'm serious. Especially because there's so many bigs who like so many bigs, like bigs so, don't really pan out. Like so that's, the hit rate that's, is so low. That's the problem we have with Aiton. But I went to one team that's really good, and I go, you know, I wonder. Like if I'm taking eight and one, I want to know that in the fourth quarter I can keep him out there in a close game. That's just me. I'm complicated that way. My number one pick. And the guy from the team looked at me like I was embarrassed afterwards because he just undressed me with his eyes, not in a sexual way. Because you know, and by the way, Whoa. all equal here, all all lifestyles accepted. But it was just a look of what are you nuts? He's like, don't overthink this. Aiton's awesome. He's the pick. You take him. Like, what are you talking about? Have you watched him play? And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, like just getting killed. So I was like, all right, you really like him. Um, the Mo Bamba stuff, I, like when I watch him and I break it down, and I go, I feel like this guy's going to be watching close games from the bench. I do. And then teams do this. And it's this is more of a media thing, but it's kind of this dumb thing where, like, say – Say you like Doncic and Aiton. Say you had him graded equally and you're Ryan McDonough with Phoenix. And you go, well, if I take Aiton, well, look at my team. I have Booker and I have I have Jackson and I have Aiton. So I've got my guard, I've got my wing, and I've got my center. You know, problem solved. And I've seen this happen with Dallas a little bit too. It's like, hey, Dennis Smith Jr. And then you can Mo Bamba. Oh yeah. We got our athletic guard, we got our big rim runner. And you go, or your team stinks and you're just sort of like throwing, hey, a small guy, medium guy, and a big guy. Like, this isn't Nintendo hockey, folks. Yeah, like, I'm not sitting here going, Josh Jackson, we're good. Yeah, right. And now, Josh Jackson, I did go through it again this morning and looked at his game log. He closed, like, there's some crazy games in there, the kind of numbers he put up. But then it'd be like five points, zero points. I think there was an inactive, but I don't... Uh, a Suns fan will correct us on this at some point. I, I just wasn't going to look it all up. If he was inactive, was it a DNP coach's decision or they just sat him for a game? And then he went nuts, like in the 30s a few times, big couple big rebounding games. And I always worry, though, that last month or so when teams stink and good young players that aren't very good yet, you know what I mean, like aren't winning players, put up all these huge numbers that April Fool is part of the NBA season. But maybe Jackson figured something out. Statistically, he closed stronger. But it is you – know, I, I wouldn't run a team that way where I'd go, hey, we have a, a guard and a medium. Let's get a bigger dude. You know, if Doncic, if you like him and what he's done is far more impressive than any college player, the level that he's playing at in Europe and the stuff that he's doing and – it was funny to watch because his final, his Euro final game there, um, was on right during the scrimmages, the combine, and there were a bunch of teams where they weren't even watching what was happening in the scrimmage. They were watching Doncic on their laptop. <laughs> and one team closed the laptop and I was watching it. And I said, Hey, I was watching that. And they laughed. Ha ha. You know, that I'm not really that tight with that team. So, uh, I don't think they thought it was that funny. So, yeah, that's just something about it. And then even if Phoenix, who, you know, McDonough's got to say that, oh, we're open to trading it. Of course you would be open to trading it. Okay, you have, you have, but like, what would the trades realistically be? And this is something I want to get into with Woj, because it happened a little bit with Atlanta. Say Aiton goes one, Doncic goes two, and there's another weird Doncic thing, because he's so close with Dragic, that we're starting to hear that maybe like Dragic is telling Doncic, well, you don't want to go to Phoenix, you don't want to go to Sacramento. So that's where that threat where Doncic recently said, well, I'm not sure I'm even coming over yet, because apparently Dragic still is just dumping all over his Phoenix experience. So that's something to pay attention to there. But i got to imagine if Koskakov, the head coach there, is his dude for the uh, international team, that, th- that they can work that out. So... 
you know, there's just a bunch of little soap opera moving parts. And now all of a sudden, like Marvin Bagley's going to go one. No, I don't, I don't necessarily think that. Okay. But if we go back to Bagley, we go to that third pick for Atlanta. Say Atlanta was like, we want to trade this pick. Who would you trade it for that makes any sense? And forget the Carl Anthony Town stuff, which I thought was really interesting and maybe an early preview of how this group ends up if they don't develop this year, how it gets broken up in Minnesota with Butler, who I'd rather resign than Andrew Wiggins, and Towns, who, you know, going out there liking tweets or, or stuff on Instagram about him being with another team because Zach Lowe and Windhorse were saying that essentially together recently that, you know, that wasn't great up there, that the mood wasn't great. Well, it was a disappointing season. Like they should have been better. Uh, that's a talented team, but they still haven't figured some things out. And Jimmy Butler even said that in the beginning, like, Hey, these young dudes haven't figured it out. When you watch Towns Wiggins, that was pretty much clear. But Towns, if I were, if I owned, if I ran the T-Wolves, he would have to, he could aggressively hit on my wife. And it could be like not funny. It could be late night calls where you're like, grow up, dude. It's 3 a.m. And I still wouldn't trade him. Okay. So if you were Atlanta, like what realistically do you think you would get? Or even Phoenix for a one. You're not getting Paul George. You know, unless, unless actually, Paul George went to Oklahoma City and says Phoenix is the only place I want to play. It wouldn't be that tier of a player. So if I were Atlanta, let's say, okay, my team stinks. We have a new front office coming in. We just lost our coach. Where this is a teardown again. We got maybe two guys in the roster we even feel good about. So take Bagley and maybe maybe he turns into a guy, develops some perimeter stuff, and then guess what? We have a guy on a rookie contract who's a really nice player because the player that you'd be trading for has to be a guy that's kind of at that star or, you know, second or third tier level. I'm not superstar, but tier two or tier three in the NBA that the team that has him is okay trading him. You know, that's like the winner's curse. Like we like this player so much, we'll trade him. So that's why these trades at the top, there's just not the way basketball works in the NBA. There's just not that much stuff that makes sense where Atlanta goes, okay, this is this veteran guy who's a little bit more established. And now the team around him still stinks. So he's going to be miserable. So we don't want to do that. You know, like the, when you try to figure out all the different pathways to these top picks being traded, not to say it's impossible. It isn't, it isn't as easy as, as just going, Oh, this guy, all right, you want to move on and do something different. Speaking of Bagley, uh, Wendell Carter is not somebody we've mentioned yet. This is one of my favorite tidbits from the combine. Uh, apparently some of the Duke guys were interviewed in, in their team sit down things and were asked, Hey, you're a GM. You can't pick yourself. You've got to pick a player from Duke. You have the number one overall pick. You're the GM of the team with the number one pick and you have to pick one of your teammates, number one. And apparently all the guys struggled with it, you know, and the analogy I'd heard was, was like saying, who do you like better? Your brother, or your sister, that kind of thing. But the players picked Wendell Carter over Bagley. Wait, repeat that. All the Duke players. The Duke players interviewed. Were asked. By, yeah, I'm not saying every team did it. I'm just saying something that I'd heard Interesting. was that, yeah. So if you went to a different player, it was like, you can't pick yourself. You have the number one pick. You have to pick somebody from Duke. Who would you pick? And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, man, Bagley sucks. He's overrated. Take Wendell. Um, they struggle with it, but... It was, uh, it was, it was, it was Wendell Carter who, you know, has gone from, why is he going to go 10? That doesn't make any sense to six to who knows, who knows what the hell could happen. Okay. More on the draft with Woj coming up. Uh, I'm not going to do my motorcycle thing. I'm just not, I'm going to save that for you. I'm going to drive more on the highway. 
And let's double check the commute. Oh, cool. It is now gone from 30 minutes to an hour and 10. All right. Could be worse, right? I don't know. That's pretty bad. I think I'm going to miss the tip of the game. ESPN Radio. Yep. Okay. Here we got Dollar Shave Club. What's up with these guys? Well, if you've ever showered or brushed your teeth, I hope you're doing that by now, at least once, or trying to make your hair look presentable, I've got good news for you. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Dollar Shave Club has all of the stuff to get you ready in the bathroom. They own the bathroom. It's so much more than razors. Dollar Shave Club. Yes, that Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that'll leave your tush feeling tingly clean. I'm a big fan of their Amber Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. That's how I like to start my day. Never smelled anything like it. Good luck finding a product that great at the store. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. You'll feel the difference. Plus, shipping is free with your membership. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products for just five bucks. You can get their daily essential starter set. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, their amazing butt wipes, their world famous shave butter, and their best razor. That's the six blade executive folks. They didn't call that one the entry level because that wouldn't have made any sense. Keep the blades coming for a few bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Check it all out. DollarShaveClub.com slash Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. DollarShaveClub.com slash Ryan. Woj on all off-season stuff and some cool draft stories coming up next. Woj, the playoffs have been boring. I, I know that in the first half of the solo thing, I, I think it was kind of funny in that, like, I don't know. People love to blame young people for everything now, and you're like, "Oh, these millennials nowadays." But uh, what's what's your overall kind of summary of of what we've seen so far? They have been. I mean, it's really the conference finals have just been abysmal. And you know, there were some moments earlier, um, but obviously, you, you go back two years ago. You know, it felt like the NCAA tournament there for a while uh, with a lot of especially in the early rounds, you know, a lot of dramatic moments. And last year was a little better, but this has been a problem. And sometimes in these series, they start to tighten up the deeper they go. Uh, I don't know that Golden State and Houston's going to get tight. I don't think it is. But I do think Boston and Cleveland, um, you know, could be different. So, uh, yeah, it's been you're at the mercy of these. And (laughs) I don't think the finals will be much better. And so I know I'm not promoting programming here but like just <laughs> everyone can see it yeah it really does feel like there's two teams in the west going all we have to do is get past that other team and we have a ring waiting for us which you know may seem disrespectful to lebron and may seem disrespectful to what boston has put together here i've spent a yeah. lot of time on the celtics and, and you never yeah, know and, and listen we you, like you know boston or cleveland could get in and and you know i think either is capable of winning at home and may like i mean i don't think it's outlandish to say maybe they could get something the six games maybe they could win at home and maybe I, I don't think so I think they're I mean we're getting ahead of ourselves but but you don't when Golden State is playing even reasonably well <laughs> um they're far better than everybody else yeah that's 
I, that's kind of how I, I felt about it this whole time, um, where I go, look, the peak versions I've seen from Golden State, there's just, that's, that's unobtainable. Have you sensed, and, you know, I, I want you to go, cause I probably have less, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're a guy reporting stuff, and when you say something, it, it resonates. Uh, me being more of a conversational guy, whether it be the podcast or the radio show, like, hey, you know, this is something that's gone on, but, you know, when I talk to teams, I don't really sense a frustration. You know, there's there's always like, yeah, if they they hadn't if they had softened the cap, this wouldn't have happened with Golden State. If if OKC had done something differently, maybe Durant, you know, all these different things. But like, what's the sense you get of of what Golden State is in the middle of here right now when you talk to other teams? Because it's kind of all over the map for me. Like, I don't get the general. I don't get constant complaining like I would with other stuff. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's some resignation that it's just the way it is and that only probably the Warriors themselves could stop themselves, whether it's money or injury or ego. Um, I I don't think it's going to be ego. I don't think it's going to be personalities. Um, I I just don't – I think this group will survive that. They've shown a great ability to just coexist and and without a ripple – uh, you know, money's going to become an issue down the road here. Um, they can't pay everybody everything they probably will want, So that, but that's coming. But that's not coming this summer. And so I, I think the rest of the league is they're measuring success in different ways. I think you're seeing a lot of people try to cycle. You're seeing teams try to cycle back and maybe not completely tear it down, but like what the Clippers are doing. Okay, we weren't good enough. Well, once, especially once Chris Paul left, they looked at DeAndre or DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and said, we're not good enough. We're not tearing it down. We want to try to reshape the roster on the fly. We don't want to become – we don't want to do um, – we don't want to just dive into the lottery and stay there um, for several years. Uh, so you're seeing some of that. But, yeah, I think there's just – I think there's respect for how they built the roster because they largely did it through the draft. And, and, and remember, even with the salary spike, they still could have gotten – they would have gotten Durant. They would have had to um, – there would have been some changes on their roster. They wouldn't have had that whole group. But they would have been able to create the space without a great deal of trouble uh, to sign Kevin Durant. But, they, but the spike allowed them to have the luxury of, once he was willing to take less money, the spike allowed them to really keep – really most of their bench together, too. <clears throat> if this doesn't work out for Houston, and I think that's kind of how we're sitting here looking at this now, um, I, I don't and I don't know if the smart people would say this, but I don't love the, well, you know, Daryl, it didn't work out. And you go, well, in a vacuum, you always add Chris Paul to your team. You just do. And, and you can't say, oh, well, if we didn't get back maybe against the greatest modern team we've ever seen with Chris Paul. But are we assuming too much if we think that kind of like the Kevin Love deal where – I always thought he was going to resign when they move a number one pick. Now, granted, Houston didn't move the same level of assets for Paul, but I feel like we do a lot of Kawhi, a lot of LeBron, a lot of Paul George, but we don't do very much with Chris Paul's future knowing that he could be up. Oh, I mean, listen, they won more games than Golden State in the regular season. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, it did work out. Um, now, they may not win the series, but they always knew it was going to be difficult to win. I don't think they ever thought for a moment, well, we've got the one seed, we won more in the regular season. Like we're the team to be. They they never thought that. No, I I think but, I I yeah. yeah no I mean we're in agreement on that one. Like I'm I, yeah. I wouldn't say, but I guess I feel like I'm constantly doing like hey what do you hear on Paul George what do you hear on Paul? I just 
I always kind of forget because he was traded there that he opted in with a year left on that contract, and I just right. And, I, and now he's set up for the deal. I listen. I unless there's some dramatic change of heart, he's enjoyed playing there. I mean, where would he go? I mean, he 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 did this to stay, and it couldn't have gone better this year. Um, I mean, it couldn't have gone any better team wise. Winning the chemistry between Chris Paul and Harden, I, he's been thrilled with how it's gone, and, and it's obvious. And so, like, there could be some conversation on what his contract looks like. And geez, is there a way that we don't have to pay you, you know, nearly fifty million when you're in your late thirties? <laughs> you know, I'm sure they'll try some of that, but is there I don't any way that we... they're going to get anywhere with it? Yeah, he remember he gave up a lot of money. Uh, to leave the Clippers, and he'll still make less money on this deal. Um, so, you know, again, like I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't see a scenario where Chris Paul's not back with the Rockets on a long-term deal. Yeah, I thought it was just something that I, I kind of go, you know, I spend so much time on all these other guys. Okay, do you think, as we kind of talked about Golden State, do you think that there's any? And feel free to totally just shut me down on any of the the. The, you know what I mean? Like, because I, I know I don't want to ever put you in a bad spot, Woj. I just want to say, like, if, is there ever even a realistic combination of players? If Golden State comes back, this team, say they win it, and yeah, maybe it is boredom, maybe it's something else, but do you think that there's a realistic combination of player movement that could even challenge us for next year? I do not think so. I think... If you're well, if Boston just gets healthy and stands pat, are they there? Um, they're really good. I, I don't know if they're there, but Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward coming back into this team, um, to me, that's to me they become the second best team in the league. Now, that's without no James is going to do, and so uh, I, I guess the only if LeBron finds a way to go join a team that has two stars, and maybe it's a team we're not talking about right now, that he looks and they, you know, if he tells a team he wants to come, they'll gut their roster, um, create space. Uh, and so, and I, and I don't have an expectation necessarily that's going to happen, but if we're talking about hypotheticals, yeah, right. I guess it would be LeBron joining up somewhere. Um, whether that was, you know, Philadelphia would be really, really good. Uh, um, you know, if, so I guess if if any third star joined Philly, uh, they would be um, formidable. But I still think Boston's going to be really deep and talented. And uh, to me, they just have to get healthy. Um, and they're right there. I, I don't know that they're, they're right there with Golden State, but to me, they're the second best team in the league without imagining – with almost anything else I could imagine happening in the summer this summer, I can't imagine a group being put together that's better than a Boston healthy group, than a healthy Boston team, um, and obviously Golden State. That Boston team, I I can't, you know, I still felt like the East towards going to the playoffs. I go, yeah, I guess I could envision a bunch of different things happening here because it felt like the top was lower than maybe we thought, and that's also being disrespectful to Toronto. Just you know, look, I'm sorry, you won 59 games. I guess I just didn't feel like they were this really good team, um, or I, I guess it's just great team, or we know that mentally like Cleveland just sort of owns mm-hmm. them. But what has Brad Stevens' success with their injuries and with young players, and 
And I don't like doing this thing where it's like, well, wait a minute, Ainge deserves more credit. Well, I was trying to give Ainge credit for years. I know ownership will sign the checks. But Brad's impact with the things they've had to do, like how has that changed maybe the way you look at the value of a coach or maybe the way the league looks at the value of a coach? You know, I think he's been really good for the value of the coaching league because he – the coaches have been devalued in the league in some ways by management because management in a lot of places has taken a greater hand in not just picking the players, but picking the style of play, picking the lineups on the floor, uh, dictating minutes on the floor. And if you, if that's going on, there becomes this increased feeling we could put anybody down there. Now you can't, and I don't believe that, but I do think, um, and also you have another thing where you have teams, when you have so many teams who aren't really trying to win, they're in rebuilds or transition, and they're they're spending less on coaches. But I still think the premier premium coach is getting paid well and is valued. Um, but I think Brad has, especially the way they hired him, uh, hired him from college. Danny had a vision with him and, you know, there had been other interest in him. Ryan McDonough had tried to hire Brad Stevens a couple of months before Danny did and met with him and made an offer and I think offered a little less money and maybe one less year. And Stevens turned it down and then Boston came and he took that one. But but it's a great point. I, yeah, I think he's uh, – and I think he's also really changed the model of the college to the NBA coach, which used to be Patino, Calipari, lots of power, um, big ego the coach is the star when in fact the coach is never the star in the NBA. The players are the stars. I think Patino and Calipari had trouble understanding that. Well, maybe they understood it. They had trouble accepting it. And that was one of the factors that did them in. And I think the centralized power for both guys did them in because it's not really. And then we saw another cycle where that came with coaches again, and it didn't work out well, didn't work out. State of Gundy lost his job, uh, um, Doc, Doc Rivers lost yeah, the power, right. and things are not going well for Tom Thibodeau and that regime in Minnesota. So when you look at Brad Stevens, Billy Donovan, now Quinn Snyder remade himself as a, as a pro assistant, even went overseas for a year, a, a D-league coach. Quinn didn't just come from college basketball. But you look at all three of those, and what do you see as the common denominator working in concert with management uh, kind of a partnership, you know, they all work for really good GMs, all three of those I just mentioned. But the day of the college, there used to be this belief, well, the college coach can come and recruit in the NBA, and it's actually just the opposite. Nobody wants to play for those guys yelling and screaming at them like, it just isn't college basketball. And so um, uh, Brad has changed a lot, and, you know, you see the, the how precise their execution is um, and how – he has, in almost every situation, adjusted in sort of the bigger picture and then the smaller picture of um, of executing late in games, you know, not beating themselves, you know, get all the little things and then the bigger things, the way how hard guys play for them, how unselfish the team is. You'd never hear anybody in that Boston group, and, and you didn't hear it when, when Kyrie Irving was playing. There was nothing like, hey – I need mine. I need more. Or that, and, and that reminds you a lot of San Antonio, which is how it was there for a very long time. Like it was not 
those issues didn't crop up the way they crop up every place else. Two things there. I remember it was Brad got six years out of Butler, right? You know, you're kind of like, wow, you guys are really committed to him because I, I think going back, if you look at it, they didn't think they were going to even have the success they had, say, year two or year three of that. Um, so things happened a little bit quicker, but it was a commitment yeah. to, hey, if we're going to, if we're getting rid of all the guys or transitioning from Doc, like we don't want you coming here for three years and think you're going to get canned if you're not, you know, at least getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But if I'm a yeah, Suns no, they fan. they thought it was a long rebuild. Yeah. And the, Brook- the Brooklyn trade sped everything up. Right. But then if you're a Phoenix fan listening to that going, we couldn't give the guy an extra year. Um, that I, one, I don't that know if hurts. it was the yeah. year. I don't know that it was a year like he didn't take it because the terms didn't meet what he wanted. He may, I think there may have been other factors. He, you know, Phoenix ownership is different than Boston ownership. You know, Ryan McDonough was still a young GM there, or he could have worked for the guy, Danny Ainge, who had won championships and Ryan had worked for. I, I don't know that like terms kept it from happening, but I just know it just happened that the terms were a little bit less, uh, but yeah, still look, pretty significant, and, and, I think. Yeah. yeah. Sure, but then there's also, you know, if you're leaving a place that, and if you know Brad at all, like if you're a basketball junkie and you can be the head coach of the Celtics, I mean, it's the Celtics. So I don't, I don't think that that's, yeah. Uh, it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy for him. I, you know, walking around the combine and stuff and, and trying to, you know, it, it, I think it's a great event. I, I really enjoyed how I think this year, even though, you know, I miss hosting it, I do like that it's become more of an NBA show a little bit more. Um, because that's a, you know, look, it's the NBA combine. It should be that kind of NBA product. So I think having you guys in there that, um, had so much NBA information on all that stuff, but you've been on the Kawhi story for a long time. Um, and honestly, you know, look again, what, you, how deep you want to go in this. How do you think San Antonio is approaching this, this off season when it feels like so many other teams think that Kawhi's out? You know, I, I think teams, I don't necessarily think everyone thinks he's out. I think teams don't know. I think they they hope he might be. Yeah. Uh, there's not a team that wouldn't like to get at him. But I also think teams believe that once you know Pop has gone through an incredibly difficult period here, and that there'll be a time here very soon where you know there's going to be conversations beginning, um, presumably, with with Kawhi and, and maybe his representation, but I think Kawhi, uh, I think they need to talk and, and then figure out where they are. Like, is there common ground? Does he want to be there? Does he, are there things they have to work out? Um, trust issues. Are there, is there just, I think there's just talking they have to do and see if they all can go to go forward together. Uh, the Spurs want to, they, they want to continue building around Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they, their team, their organization is built around him and I thought it was pretty remarkable how much they won without him this year when you really looked at the lineup and what they you know put out no, that was that was a killer job by Popovich I mean it's really it was. wasn't a very good team and, this year and, and so uh I, yeah I think of course teams would love to get at him but you know if you are going to trade for him with a year left on his deal and you're going to give up a lot for him or I think you'd have to be a market that believes he'd want to resign because it'd be such a risk to give up as much as you're probably going to have to give up for Kawhi Leonard and have him walk on you in free agency next year. So I, in the end, I, I, I do wonder how many legitimate 
teams there would be. I think many would want him. Everybody would want him, but are you going to trade for him if you think if you're just not sure he'd stay? And so we're not nearly to that yet. But yeah, uh, those are all the questions people are asking of themselves. Teams are looking at themselves. And, you know, we go through this with lots of players, like Paul George. I mean, it was a risk for Sam Presti to to make that trade. He he had a he had to have the confidence that somehow they could re-sign him and, and be in a position to re-sign him. He, he could, they weren't going to sell Paul George on the market. They were going to try to sell him on winning. Um, and so that they had a better organization than the Lakers or somebody else, and that's what they're trying to sell him on in OKC. So it would take guts and another mid-market to trade for him, uh, mid-sized market. Um, at the top of the draft, you know, I – I try not to get too, too caught up in any of this stuff. You know, I, t- I talk to one team and I'll say, and I'm not saying like specific to that team. You go, you know, I'm look. The more I'm digging into the draft, the more I'm doing my own work uh, on the players. I have this, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, like I have this feeling like the floor could be really low for a lot of these guys, and it scares me. And you know, then you start doing the whole well, it's not just eight, and it's not just Doncic. It's three or four guys. Like if you're Phoenix, you want to keep selling that message. You want there to be more interest. Um, I had heard that ownership was maybe more into Doncic, the basketball staff more into Aiton. One team I was like, you know, I'm not, are you 100% sold on Aiton? And they looked at me like I was the dumbest basketball person of all time, being like, you'd be kidding me, Aiton, it's Aiton, it's Aiton, you know, don't overthink mm-hmm. it, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah. it's a hard pick. Like, I just don't know if, well, I think history tells you how hard it is to trade these picks. You know, and every Suns fan that's that's reading or listening to the Zach Lowe podcast with Windhorse, where they both alluded to the fact that the Minnesota thing didn't seem super awesome right now. But even if you were Phoenix and wanted to trade that pick, it's still a really hard thing to pull off. And and as I said earlier, like I would never trade. I, Towns can be as miserable as he wants to be. I'd never trade him for the number one pick in this draft. Yeah, I think I think their owner would trade management slash the coach before he would trade Carl Anthony Towns. I don't think they would allow that. Well uh, said. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 I just don't believe they'd allow that kind of a decision. And I, I don't know that they'd want to trade him. I think that Minnesota's difficult to answer this first. Minnesota's bigger issue not is Carl Anthony Towns. I don't, they're not moving him as um, – th- there's only um, – Towns is eligible for his extension this summer. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler – uh, is it is it more of a question of Andrew Wiggins? That that to me would be if someone was going to get moved. And I'm not saying anyone's going to get moved. I think Wiggins is the one you're going to look at uh, first. Uh, then that allows you to put. Then that allows you to give both. You don't have to make a decision between Towns and Jimmy Butler uh, on one of those guys having to take less um, on an extension because you can't have three guys. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But they, uh, Phoenix, yeah, trading number one. And I talked to Ryan McDonough about it. We had him on the set on the show. And you know, it, listen, it would have to be. I mean, he didn't say it, but it would have to be a Towns. It would have to be a star, young big star on a rookie deal. And as he said, and it's true, those players very rarely become available. And you know, last year. I thought Phoenix had a chance to get Porzingis if they were willing to put the fourth pick in, which would have been Josh Jackson. Oh, Looking wow. back, at the time, I kind of thought I would have done that. I, like, if I could get Porzingis to play with, and I didn't have to give up Devin Booker, 
and I like there was no one in that draft up there that I I would have gotten Porzingis, but but I understood they they were careful. They they and they, they still believe in Josh Jackson. Uh, so um, and Porzingis wasn't super enthusiastic about Phoenix and what his future would have been there, and they they want to be able to resign him. So I, I get showing some restraint there. It's tough. It's tough to project these things, but. Uh, history tells you they're not trading the number one pick. That's not going to happen. Uh, but I think once you get out of once you get out of the top three, you know Memphis at four, um, you get to five and six. Those picks can always go. I, I think the Clippers and the back end, you know, I think they'd love to get up in that draft. But twelve and thirteen aren't going to get you too far up. Like, and it doesn't make sense if you can't get way up to the top you're better off picking two players there, like to just make a nominal jump. And if you had to use both those picks, um, you know, I, I, that makes it unlikely too. Yeah. There's no chart. And even the NFL chart drives me nuts on the value chart. Yeah. Go for two or yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Cause yeah. It, yeah. I mean, even in, in, uh, if you had to say, okay, you know, who it would depend, is it a six person draft? Is it a 10 person draft? Okay. So 12 and 13, does it get us the guy we're in love with at nine? All right, then fine, go ahead and do it. But you know, you're not going to get to four. It's it's not like yeah, NFL. and unless you like, can it get up matter. there somehow, it doesn't make sense. Especially a team like the Clippers, so devoid of young talent. They have not, you know, and Lawrence Frank just took over. Um, they have not drafted well for a very long time. They've not had a rotation player in the first round since Blake Griffin, and so. I mean, that's rough, and so they they need good they need good young players, and so the chances are that they they probably use uh, both both their picks. Bledsoe uh, would Bledsoe they, be after him? Yeah, right. I'm just I'm trying, but that doesn't even really count because they traded him. Well, you know, uh, well, Bledsoe, yeah, then they traded him. Yeah, I'm trying. I him. I shouldn't have done that, Woj, so, but I was just like immediately yeah, and I start going pretty, through every pick. Bledsoe was. Um, he was the he was the Paul trade, so you know you could argue. Yeah, and 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 here's the thing: you're really going pre. It was a Neil Olshay regime where they drafted well there, and Bledsoe was from the Olshay regime. Yep. And then Doc took over, and he traded Bledsoe as part of the JJ Redick deal, which actually turned out to be a good deal for them. Like they 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 couldn't pay Bledsoe with Chris Paul, and if you look back and what JJ meant to them, um, that was fine. Uh, but when you really get to, you know, Mike Dunleavy and then Neil drafted well there, and then Doc Sears didn't go well with the draft. So, uh, anyway, uh, but no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Question for the for Di- the clips. Different regime. I'll I'll table those Neil O'Shea questions for Neil next time we have him on. Um, all right, before I let you go, the last pod that you did, I, well, I know you've done one since then, and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap. But people just listen to the NBA stuff uh, for me here. But the storytelling that you guys did on the Antetokounmpo draft where the Hawks thought they wanted, or they, not that they wanted him, they, of course they wanted him. Um, yeah. it was, and then you had the Anthony, but can you just sort of share those for anybody that may have missed those? Like the Hawks thought that they were getting Giannis. Is that, is that, well, I, I they, they yeah, thought they, they were in well, position they hoped, to go. They hoped, they hoped they were and they were really determined to get them. And in that draft, Milwaukee was at 15 and uh, the Hawks were just behind them. And looking back, they probably wish they moved up. Obviously Toronto came pretty close to moving up in that draft to get Giannis. Uh, Masai Ujiri was trying to get to uh, 
uh, Oklahoma City at 10. And Oklahoma City might have done a deal with them if Stephen Adams didn't come. But once Stephen Adams got there, that's the guy they wanted. And that obviously turned out to be a great pick for them. And they got Adams, and so there was no deal there. Uh, but Danny Ferry, Wes Wilcox, who were the front office, and, and there then, they yeah, they really wanted Giannis. And, and Milwaukee, it's funny, I, I appreciate how honest John Hammond was about this. And, and, in fact, we talked about it on the podcast. I talked to him off the air about it. But, you know, he's like, listen, we really wanted Giannis, and we really liked him, and we were going to take him. But we weren't moving up for him. Like, if somebody had jumped in front of them, they weren't going to go. If somebody got to 14, they weren't going to go, oh, boy, we better get to 13. And some guys would tell you, oh, yeah, we knew it, and, and we were going to jump up. And he, <laughs> he said, no, we weren't. Like, we, we wanted him at 15. He was there. We are thrilled. But we wouldn't have moved up, um, as I recall our conversation on it. But, yeah, the Giannis was – and it was such a bad draft. When you look back, it makes, I'm sure it makes teams feel even worse. Because I remember, like, Orlando, I think, liked him. And it was like, hey, it's too high. Like, it's too high to take him up in the top five. Like, you can't. Now, looking back, of course you should have. But, like, it's easy. that's easy to do. And there'll be somebody in this draft, you know, that people are missing and, like, they should have. And that's just the nature. That's the nature of it. And uh, uh, the one guy that I'll be really interested, Ryan, is Michael Porter Jr. Um, he, yeah, he. You know, this is a guy who people thought might be the first pick in the draft before his college season at Missouri. Got hurt in the exhibition game, came back at the very end of the season, and uh, he's got a lot to overcome to um, go anywhere in the top half of the lottery. And I think he's a player looking at the back half of the lottery now, and uh, there'll come a point where people go, okay, where, where are we? Where now he's a value for us. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of questions about him and and to me he'll be a really interesting player on draft night to see where where he goes and 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 is there somebody out there who just believes so much in his talent that they'll take a risk on the medical and some of the other questions on him yeah that's a really good one because i feel like all these teams have them as their own little sleeper but i don't think they're the teams that are in play there and then he feels to be like one of those guys that if he has a bit of a slide it's going to scare off other teams even if they don't have any information so. Yeah, and I think there's plenty of information. People are gathering it. It's just um, he just has work to do between now and June 21. He'll be and, great in the workouts. Um, He'll be great in the workouts. A guy like that. Yeah, and great. I think the question with him is more: How does he do five on five? What kind of teammate is he? How does he do with others? And I think those are some of the questions. Um, how is he going to fit into not just the medical? Um, and and the one to me, Jaron Jackson is the one. There's people there. I've had more than one GM say to me, I think he may end up becoming the best player in this draft. Um, that he, it won't be at the beginning. He, like, you may have to wait three years um, for him to really develop. But there is um, a lot of intrigue around Jackson. He's already a top five guy. Um, would somebody have the courage in the top three to do it? Could, could he jump in front of Marvin Bagley? Could he jump in front of Doncic? Uh, I don't think it's inconceivable. Hey, Woj, I know you're super busy, man, giving us 30 minutes uh, after a playoff weekend and all the Chicago stuff. Appreciate it. And your podcast is the Woj Pod, right? Correct? And you can find that iTunes and uh, everywhere else, right? Yeah, yeah, iTunes and anywhere you – what do I say at the end of the thing? Anywhere you <laughs> anywhere you get your podcast, you can find the podcast, right? So, yeah, you, people know where to go. So I, I love it. As always, Ryan, man. Okay. Hey, 
The one with Wind Horse and yeah. Bobby and and just all that stuff, man. I, I was in the car. I listened to it a second time because I was afraid I was missing stuff. So I anybody who's listening do, to me we could do. Yeah, we could do like a weekly. 15-minute segment on crazy net stories for Bobby's 20 years there and never r- duplicate one, you know. Uh, the Rod yeah, Thorne was hilarious. One that one, and he's told this before. Was, Go. Take take told, all the time you want. Yeah, no, he – I mean, I covered those teams in Jersey, and, man, it was <laughs> – it was just from <laughs> – at every, at every level, every – uh, What was the one you were going to say? Because I interrupted, so well, go. Well, the one was – we were talking about the draft, and he – they traded a second-round pick to Philly to, that turned out to be Kyle Korver. And the Nets' real goal with it financially was they wanted money for, like, a new color copier, and I think they paid the parking lot at the <laughs> practice facility. And I said to Bobby, where I said, like, the copier's long since broken, but, like, the player, the player still works, you know? He said that Rod, who, you know, anybody that knows Rod Thorne, you, nobody has like a bad word to say about him. Like, he's an incredibly gracious guy. Yeah. To speak to anybody, you know what I mean? Like, when I used to go to the Orlando stuff and people were just like, who's this annoying guy? You know, Rod would be the type of dude to sit down and just talk with you. And he, is it true that Rod, as soon as he picked a player, he like hated him? <laughs> like, he was yeah, always. Yeah, he did. He, he had, he had buyer's remorse. The moment he would, oh, what did I do? What did I do? And I, you always hear those stories. And then he'd be at summer league, and like you know, Robin Lopez, or excuse me, Brooke Lopez would like have a scoreless first half, and he was like, "What did I do? This guy, you know, sucks." You know. And I'll tell you a funny Rod Thorne draft night story. This was when I was at the Bergen Record. I love and it. This was stuff the so much. Uh, you know, I was the columnist of the Bergen Record, and I don't think I had a cell phone then. There were no, well, I, I should say there were no cell phones. I didn't have one. But I remember I was at a landline, and they traded. Eddie Griffin had been at Seton Hall that whole year, and so yeah. I covered him pretty closely. And I was knew he was a New Jersey kid. Actually, no, he was from Philly. Actually, Philly. Went to that's Philly right. For his, I, he went to Roman Catholic, and I actually went to his press conference when he announced for Seton Hall. He was the in some he was some services the number one player in the country, but like top three, and picked Seton Hall over Carolina, and it was a big deal. And so anyway, he um. But but he had a very troubled freshman year at Seton Hall, and there were a lot of issues there, obviously, and they became more well-known once he got in the NBA. But but the Nets knew, and I remember Rod had gotten hired. I remember sitting with him after his press conference with the Nets, and he had been in the league office, but he had been in Chicago. And, you know, a lot of his draft, besides Michael Jordan, a lot of his draft track record at Chicago had been, he made some character mistakes on players. And so I remember at his, after his press conference, we sat down and he said, I asked him about what he would try to do differently. What has he learned this last 13, 14 years in the league office? And he said, I'm going to hire, I'm going to draft better people, especially with the Nets. They were coming off of years of you know, some questionable characters. We've got to have better guys in here. And I said, okay. And so I wrote that. I remember writing that whole column in the record. Here's how Rod wants to do it. Here's the mistakes he made. So it's draft night. <laughs> and the Nets have the, uh, I, think Eddie, I think Eddie Jordan, or uh, excuse me, Eddie Griffin. Seven, I think eight. they had the seventh pick seventh or eighth pick right and so again they they announce um hey we've drafted eddie griffin and i'm like this is like 9 30 at night my deadline was like 10 30 and again no cell phone no real so i didn't know they had made a trade so i wrote this whole column like geez how could rod thorne do this like this is everything he said he wouldn't do there are all these issues with eddie griffin he's talented but they can't afford to have this right now like this is a mistake this is everything he said he wouldn't do i had written this whole column and so it was like 10.30, and I send it into our to the news desk, get our paper. 
And all of a sudden, I hear, hey, the Nets traded the pick. I said, what? And so it was Richard Jefferson, Jason Collins, and Brandon Armstrong from Pepperdine, who didn't turn out. But um, so I remember I called the newspaper, and I said, you can't run this column. Like, you can't run it. And so they ran what was called a plug story. You just run like a wire story. And I had to rewrite my column and saying, hey, this actually – and a lot of Nets fans were angry, and a lot of people thought it was a bad – but I really thought it was a great trade because I knew there were just these issues with Griffin, and I was so shocked. I remember I was writing this column. How could they not know that? And, again, like you just didn't have as much – it was hard to get access to just call somebody. You didn't have a cell or text or whatever. So I write – so the next – so the column appears the next morning, and – uh defending the trade and saying this was actually a good trade, whatever. And so I get a call from Rod that morning, and he said to me, I guess he was taking a lot of heat from fans and stuff. And he called me up that morning, and he said, hey, I appreciate, which I don't, doesn't really happen very much. He called up and <laughs> no, said, hey, no, I appreciate okay. the column you wrote. Um, I appreciate it. And I, he was taking a lot of, I'm taking a lot of heat for this. And I said, well, if you saw the column I had written about you um, that never appeared in the paper, you wouldn't be thanking me. And he, I remember he said to me in that, in that West Virginia accent, he said, he's like, Woj, if I drafted Eddie Griffin, I would have written me too. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, yeah, that was a, uh, yeah, thank God I found out before that thing appeared um, under my byline. That's good. Did he ever have buyer's remorse on Jordan? Because that would be the all-timer. <laughs> no, I, don't think, I don't think so. Yeah, he, no, uh, he was uh, happy. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he knew. I think they do. In fact, it was the first practice. I remember talking to him about that. Like, like the first practice, they walked in and were like, "Holy cow! Like this is like we can't believe what we have, what we have here." Um, we should. You should do that. Like I'm trying to do it. I I think there's a market for trades that didn't happen. We need to just get a few GMs to do it. Then every GM is going to want to tell us their story that they've never shared about the transactions that didn't happen. Like, there's something there, and oh, I, especially if it's and you, you know, and, and and I'll tell you this: you know, the great GMs have great humility on that, and they will tell you, like, we all think we're like they want to make you out to be so smart, and we're all so smart. But you know, you know what, like. Here's a trade that I wanted to do. Thank God the other guy said no or changed his mind at the last minute and killed it because what we've done here, wherever, you know, would have never happened. And so there's a, there's a humility that this is really hard. And there's some guys who will, you know, they'll revise history, of course, and, and, and or say, like, you just know you get lucky. And, and, you know, I remember talking to R.C. Buford about Manu Ginobili, and somebody else might have taken great credit for picking Manu Ginobili um, in that draft. And he was like, look, I took him 57th. If I thought he was any, he goes, we had like four picks in that draft. If I thought he was any good, I would have picked him earlier. Now, <laughs> he, he goes, we got lucky. But I give him credit because he went to South America to see a tournament. He went to see somebody else, and he saw Manu. And Manu caught his eye, and then they, you know, watched him more and, and, and you know, just kind of took a flyer on him. They never even knew if he'd ever come over or make the roster. Um, but there is good fortune in this. And, uh, and anyone who would suggest otherwise is probably not being really honest about it. No, you're absolutely right about Hammond because I talked to him after they took Giannis, you know, a year removed, and he goes because I remember watching the video that I had access to of Giannis, and I went, I don't know, like I'm talking like my junior high gym was nicer than some of the places that he had footage from, and so it was just That's hard because right. he was destroying these kids that looked like 
it was high school basketball, like bad level high school. And I just, I was like, I don't know what to do. Now I don't, I'm not going over to the international workouts and all that stuff, you know, still, cause I still had a radio show and all that stuff going on. But I do think it is, I'm, I'm sure like if you were sitting around at dinner and with other guys that have covered it as close as you have and you go, okay, let's go through the GMs that always have a built in excuse for something that went wrong. Because some of the guys over the years, I'm like, man, you spin, like I never call them out on it, but like I'll leave the, the conversation going, you put a spin on every mistake. And then some of the guys, I bet you that the more successful GMs are the ones that go, you know what, man? Like we got lucky with Giannis. He ended up being way better than we thought. Or the Rod Thorn thing. Yeah. I talked to the guys from the Jazz in the Combine this week, and I, you know, I said, "Look, congrats on Mitchell." And I was, you know, I was trying to like, "Hey, what did you see? What did you see?" And they started telling me stuff that they saw. But at the end of the conversation, like all those guys, and you know them obviously, and they were just kind of like, "Yeah, we didn't think this though," you know, like we no. didn't think this. No. And I think the best front offices are usually the ones that will just go. Hey, you know, we liked him enough to take him, but still, like, we can admit yeah, that yeah. we weren't the reason the guy was, you know, is going to be an all-star for a bunch of years. So, um, yeah, no, we, and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's a humility to it that, and I think most have it. I, I think, especially if you've been in a long time, I think the longer you're in, I think the longer you're doing anything like this, you know, there's a lot of good fortune and a lot of luck. And like, I'm like, no one's been luckier than me in my business. Like, like, you just think of decisions. What if I took that job instead of this one? What if that guy, you, like, we all know a million things where if we made one different move, you know, I'd be selling vacuums in Vermont or something. Like, and I'm not that, like, I probably, you know what I mean? So you just know, like, you got lucky and you're grateful for it. And I think the longer you're in any profession, like, you know, luck has a lot to do with it. That would be amazing, though, if you worked in, like, Shelburne, Vermont, and they were like, yeah, you been to this guy's vacuum place. He's on, He's got all this great information. Like, the Electrolux, he knows the deal inside and out. I probably wouldn't get my calls returned. But that's right. <laughs> hey, I know we went long here. You're super busy. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk soon. All right, Ryan. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having me.